Good evening. Uh, at this time, I'll call to order the November 12th, 2019 City Council study session. Uh, <clears throat> we have a, uh, three absences tonight. Uh, a couple of the council members are watching their kids in a band uh, event at Central High School, and uh, Matt is not feeling well. So uh, there's just six of us, so we'll expect to get the meeting done in two-thirds of the time. So, uh, Matt, uh, the city manager says I should throw it directly to you, so the first agenda item. All right. Thank you. I'll take that cue. Thank you, Deputy Mayor and City Council. Um, I'm here this evening to discuss with you some community efforts um, by a local stakeholder group of public and private sector individuals um, to secure the return of the IHSA Boys Basketball State Finals uh, to Champaign. Specifically, we're going to discuss tonight the possibility of a city sponsorship commitment as part of the larger community's sponsorship commitment, uh, which is a key part of the community's overall proposal to host the Boys uh, Basketball State Finals from uh, 2021 to 23. So those of you familiar with the history of the tournament in Champaign will recall that for many, many years, the IHSA Boys Basketball State Finals were synonymous with Champaign-Urbana. Um, from 1919 until 1995, the State Finals were held in Champaign, first at Kenny Gym, then at Huff Gym, and then finally at the former Assembly Hall, now State Farm Center. Um, then in 1996, the IHSA moved the tournament to Peoria, where it's remained since. Uh, and currently, under the, the current agreement, would remain until uh, this year, this upcoming uh, season's finals in 2020, March of 2020. Um, in 2014, the IHSA released an RFP seeking a potential change of venue for 2016 through 2020, the current term. And the local community, led by Visit Champaign County and the U of I, Department of Intercollegiate Athletics put together a proposal to have the tournament return to Champaign-Urbana. However, uh, ultimately the IHSA chose to remain uh, in Peoria for the, f the current five-year term, which, we, which ends in March of 2020, as I said. Um, earlier this year, the IHSA again released uh, an RFP for host city proposals, this time for the upcoming uh, term of 2021 to 2023. Um, and once again, VCC and the DIA are leading a community stakeholder group um, in preparing a new proposal uh, to host the finals uh, here in the community. Um, that community stakeholder group is um, made up of a number of representatives, including from the cities of Champaign, Urbana, and Savoy, uh, MTD, Carl, Busey, Brookfield Properties, and representatives from other private sector uh, private sector areas, including hotel and restaurant industry representatives. Um, I want to recognize a few of those folks here uh, in attendance tonight. Uh, Terry Riesteck from VCC is present. Um, I also see Carrie Elmel and Jason Leonard from the Department of Intercollegiate Athletics, uh, Dennis, Dennis Robertson as well. Um, and I believe Jill Guth uh, was planning to attend. I haven't seen, seen her this evening, but uh, she may be joining us later. Um, so for the past couple of months, um, folks on this, the local stakeholder committee have been uh, getting together in subcommittees to address um, 
significant areas of the proposal, including fan experience, facilities, and finances. Um, the community uh, financial sponsorships are the domain of the finance committee, and um, it's been their charge to solicit uh, community sponsorships to include with the proposal from public and private sector sources, um, including the cities who've been involved, and that includes the city of Champaign. Um, there's a request that the city would consider a financial commitment, which is the core of what we'll discuss tonight. Um, the money committed um, through this process, um, if the community is selected to host the tournament, would then go to the IHSA Foundation. Um, and that money um, is included um, is included in their annual budget and would be um, would go towards things like um, funding their scholarship programs, providing financial assistance to underprivileged students who plan to, to go to college or university, and also providing financial assistance to women and minorities who plan to enter the teaching and coaching professions. So those are kind of core parts of the IHSA, IHSA Foundation mission. Um, I mentioned in the report and in the presentation that um, it's also to offset costs of hosting the, the tournament, but that's not everything that's included, so I wanted to correct the record on that, that it that includes other aspects of the IHSA Foundation mission. Uh, so in putting together the financial commitments, the VCC um, uh, in 2014 established a foundation to accept those funds from the local, um, the local commitments and to transfer that money in the event that the uh, community's proposal was accepted, transfer that money to the IHSA. Um, so as part of that in 2014, the city did make a financial commitment of a total of $50,000 to come out of the revenue that would be generated by hosting the tournament. At that time, $30,000 of that $50,000 commitment would have gone to the IHSA directly. 20000 of that would have gone to the VCC to offset some of its costs for helping to host the tournament here locally. Um, the economic impact of hosting the, the, the tournament um, is estimated to be about $4.8 million totally, total locally, um, both from direct and indirect sources. And uh, when I talk about um, the direct sources, we're talking about things like uh, hotel and motel revenue, um, meals purchased, um, sales tax, food and beverage tax, uh, motor fuel tax, things of, the, of that nature that are generated directly by visitors who are attending the, the tournament. And then the indirect sources include how that money is then subsequently spent by those businesses and by the employees of those businesses locally um, as kind of a secondary effect. Um, for the 2021 to 2023 term, there would be a change in format uh, that would also ch change kind of the scope of the economic impact. Um, from previous terms, it would be one weekend instead of two weekends, and it would include all four classes competing on that same weekend. Um, it would expand um, the number of days that the that the finals would last from two to three. So it would be a Thursday through Saturday event instead of just Friday and Saturday. And all, all four teams would compete during that, that time period. So teams and fans from 16 schools would all be visiting the community at the same time, staying at our hotels, eating, eating and dining in our restaurants and bars, and, and uh, purchasing fuel here, here sensibly. Um, the economic impact... I, I wanted to show a table here and a breakout of what the estimates look like. So specifically, the hotel motel revenue would generate an additional 28719 is the projection. Um, and 
uh, from the other revenue sources, including food and beverage, motor fuel, sales tax, an additional almost 51,000, so that we're estimating that the total um, direct revenue impact to our community would be nearly $80,000 annually from hosting the tournament, from the effect of having all these people descend upon, upon the community for those three days. Um, the city's prior sponsorship commitment, I spoke to that briefly uh, in 2014. Uh, that was $50,000 annually over a five-year term, um, and that, came, that was estimated and projected to come out of these additional revenues that, we, that I just described uh, that would be generated by hosting the tournament. Of that 50000 at the time, 30000 of that was committed to the IHSA Foundation, 20000 20, of that locally to VCC to help offset some of their costs that would have been associated with uh, events surrounding the tournament. Um, this time around, uh, staff's recommendation is to pledge an amount consistent with what the city committed in 2014, which would be a total of $50,000, but uh, instead this time to commit all of that uh, directly to the IHSA Foundation. Um, it would increase the annual amount that, uh, that we pledged last time. Um, it would be exceeded by the additional revenues that would be generated from hosting the tournament, as we saw, roughly $80,000 uh, annually um, would be the additional revenue. Um, the commitment of $50,000 would, um, would be estimated to fall quite uh, well short of that. Um, and then... I think the additional component here that's important is last time we were unsuccessful as a community in securing the bid. Um, increasing the commitment, I think, um, is in line with attempting to, um, to secure it this time around and to increase our commitment to the IHSA um, in this particular aspect. Um, so I would just emphasize again, the commitment would be, um, only, would be only effective if our community is selected to host the tournament, so no, no money would come out of the city's pockets if our proposal were declined. And secondly, the estimates show that the commitment would be well exceeded by revenues generated um, um, by hosting a tournament, so additional revenue above and beyond what we collect currently. And with that, I have uh, two alternatives, um, the first being to direct the city manager to issue a letter of commitment for a $50,000 $50, annual contribution to the IHSA Foundation for three years uh, in the event that the community is selected to host the state finals. Uh, with that, I'll take questions. Uh, any council members have any technical questions? Um, I do. Um, prior to 1995 or 96, were communities offering any financial incentives to the IHSA before that time? Do you, do you know? I'm not familiar with the history prior prior to that uh, period of time. Um, I, there may be others in the audience who could speak to that. Uh, um, that's uh, that's it's not critical that I give an answer to that. But if the hotel motel tax at seven percent were to generate twenty eight thousand dollars, then that represents hotel room fees of. Help me with the math here. Of four hundred thousand um, dollars. Sounds right. Yeah. The, yeah. So when you talk about the the numbers that you added up there, it's really uh, the tax revenue 
that were that were calculating. That's revenue but to it's the city. Not, but the but the actual revenue to the private sector in the community is uh, twenty five times as much, or or some multiple as yeah. much, because we're only getting seven percent, right? Anybody else with any technical questions? Does anybody in the audience wish to make a statement on this topic? Come up. Please state your name and the city of your residence. You have five minutes. There's a countdown clock. Uh, this is your opportunity to make a statement to the city council. Well, good evening. I'm Dennis Robertson. Um, I, uh, I live in Leroy, Illinois, uh, but my day job is general manager of Marketplace, the mall. Um, I also have another job. I'm uh, on the Visit Champaign County Board and chairman of the Visit Champaign County Foundation, which was created several years ago as an avenue for people to make tax-deductible contributions for the support of a bid to the IHSA uh, effort for boys basketball. Um, I just want to reiterate that uh, certainly shopping is a number one activity uh, for people when they travel. People would be traveling to the tournament, so the mall as well as other retailers in town would be very anxious to entertain them while they're in the city for the tournament. And I certainly want to urge the council to look favorably on supporting this effort. Thank you. Thank you. Would anybody else like to make a presentation to the city council? Seeing none, uh, council comments? Ms. Bricks. I just think it's a great opportunity for our community. And I think the economic boost that it would generate for our area during a slower time of year is important. And um, I think exposing people to the University of Illinois and to our community, maybe people who have never visited here or maybe went to school here in the past um, but maybe haven't been back in a long time, I think that would be a great opportunity to get them here. And I also think it would be um, an exciting experience for those that would get the opportunity to play in the assembly hall since it's been renovated. Um, and I just think it, all the way around, it's a great opportunity. Thanks. Anybody else? Uh, I'd like to add on to that. I, I too, think it's a good idea. Um, you know, I, I have said in the past, and I, I still think it's true, that... Um, Having a tournament like this in our community plants seeds in young minds that, may, that we may harvest 20 or 30 years from now. Um, this is the biggest night in the life of some of these 16, 17, 18-year-olds. It's maybe the biggest night in the lives of their parents. It's a moment of pride, and they experience it in champagne, uh, these are the people who, when they are 30 or 40 or 50 years old, uh, may be making corporate decisions or personal investment decisions as to where to develop or where to uh, locate their uh, industry. And to have Champagne be aligned in their mind with what at one time was maybe the biggest event in their life or the biggest event in their family's life is got to be a good thing. Uh, we certainly don't want them um, 
to be 45 years old and the titans of industry and thinking, well, where's that? Was that Peoria that I had that basketball tournament? No, we want them to think it was in Champaign. So I think uh, there's a real secondary benefit to us having it. Besides crunching the numbers, there's an intangible benefit that's very difficult to me uh, measure. Uh, those comments having been made, does anybody else want to uh, point out how uh, something else? Um, to Councilmember Briggs, I just wanted to tell you as a townie, I really appreciate you calling at the assembly hall. Thank you. Thanks for calling me out. No, I appreciate it. Then I'm going to poll alternative one. Councilmember Briggs. Yes. Yes. The Infetti. Yes. 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 And I'm a yes. You have direction six to nothing. Thank you. Right to Ben. Ben, would you introduce this next topic, please? Absolutely. Uh, good evening, Deputy Mayor. Good evening, Council. Um, I am here today to discuss MTD Next, which is a comprehensive operational analysis for our local transit agency, CUMTD. I am joined up here by Jay Rank at the end of the table from CUMTD, as well as two members of the consulting team from Nelson Nygaard, Matt Conover on my right, uh, and Ian Kolosinskins. Uh, sorry, Kolosinskis on my left. Um, Matt is going to be doing the bulk of the presentation, but before he begins, I just want to uh, make a couple of remarks. The first is that while I know that uh, all of council uh, knows that the city of Champaign and the MTD are two separate units of government, perhaps not everybody watching at home or in the audience recognizes that. There's often a, um, a conflation of all of the local governments we have here in the city of Champaign. And um, so I do want to recognize that the MTD is not uh, an agency of the city of Champaign. They are their own taxing authority. Uh, they are led by their own board. Uh, that said, the city of Champaign and the MTD have a long history of working together, and our goals are often closely aligned. Um, as you uh, saw in your staff report, we currently have an intergovernmental agreement that requires the MTD to annex to be coterminous with our boundaries whenever the city of Champaign annexes land. So we have an interest um, in making sure that, uh, that some of our planning goals are aligned. Uh, we also play vital roles in, a, in advancing each other's goals. Land use and transportation are two sides of the same coin. Uh, land use policy impacts transportation and vice versa. As a municipality, we control land use within our boundaries. We control the zoning that, uh, among other things, sets the density of residences, employment, uh, and other destinations. And that, of course, impacts the efficiency um, and the routing of MTD service. Uh, in turn, MTD provides transit service that uh, advances lots of our goals in the comprehensive plan and other plans, including goals relating to sustainability, transportation choice, uh, and equity. So uh, tonight, as I mentioned, we have MTD and Nelson Nygaard here to discuss MTD next. 
Um, this is an opportunity for the council to ask questions about this uh, about this initiative and also to uh, to provide their input on uh, the the comprehensive analysis that MTD is currently undertaking with its system. Uh, we are also uh, before you uh, seeking staff direction to uh, direct staff to continue to participating in this planning initiative. I have been the city's representative in this planning initiative to date, so we are seeking uh, direction for me to continue participating in that initiative till it is concluded next year. With that said, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Jay to speak a little bit about why MTD is engaging in this study at this time. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, so um, we uh, are undertaking this planning study. Um, it's the first one in our history. Um, we've had, um, I think, a lot of success over the years. Um, in recent years, we had some ridership decline, and uh, you know, there's been some changes in, in housing. And uh, ultimately, we just wanted to get a um, independent outside look to see how we're doing, if we're doing well. Uh, including um, some recommendations. Um, they're going to look at our uh, fleet to see if that's appropriately sized. Uh, they're going to look at our planning activities to see if you know our planning staff is doing everything that we should be and, and, and things like that. So uh, this is a great opportunity. Um, and then additionally, uh, we have a technical advisory committee that, that Ben is on. Uh, it includes uh, planning staff from Champaign-Urbana, uh, University of Illinois, uh, park district planners, uh, school district. Uh, so uh, this is the group that um, is helping direct uh, some of our uh, efforts. Uh, and we have uh, a lot of outreach efforts going on too, um, including uh, a meeting tomorrow night uh, at Illinois Terminal uh, from 6 to 8. Uh, we'll put on the last slide. Uh, but uh, that's a little bit of background on this project. Um, and we put out an RFP um, about a year ago um, and went through this process to select Nelson Nygaard. Um, so they're, they're leading this study. Um, and so Matt's here uh, to, to help um, spread the word and, and get your feedback. So Matt. Thank you, Jay. So on the, <clears throat> the PowerPoint agenda today, we want to talk about the project itself, um, talk a little bit about what transit planners do and, and um, why we're here working with MTD, and then talk about the study process and where we are, uh, give a brief summary on the current state of MTD, uh, what we've learned so far from the initial analysis that we've done, and then as Jay said, we'll tell you where we are in the study and then uh, invite everybody out to our open house tomorrow. Uh, so Jay mentioned this is the first study that uh, MTD has done in its 49-year history. It's a comprehensive review of what the current customer needs are as well as what potential customer needs are. We know that MTD can reach more people than it currently does, and so we want to assess not only the current riders but the, uh, the future and potential riders that are out there. <clears throat> we also uh, understand that... Um, the current system as it performs today maybe has some uh, ability to gain efficiencies or provide some, some better service out there, which again can attract some of those newer customers that we're, that we're seeking. Um, so really this all comes down to improvements. And I should mention that these are all short-term improvements. So the idea here is to find these operational efficiencies that can be implemented within like a two-year time frame. So we're not, we're not talking about long-term planning. We're not looking at big major capital changes, but really incremental on-the-street improvements that we can implement today to make service better for the existing riders and attract some new riders to the service. 
So to talk a little bit about what transit planners do and why Nelson Nygaard is here, um, we really look at kind of three considerations when we talk about improving transportation services in the short term. We want to know, you know, what's going to make transportation successful. How does the community identify the needs and goals as it relates to public transportation? And what are the constraints that are associated with those? So you can see depicted on the slide a diagram of all these different kind of factors that are, that are pushing in on public transportation. And so uh, Ben mentioned that with MTD, Champaign has uh, a, you know, a great relationship and has a, a coordinated effort that they work together. However, it is two different bodies that are trying to coexist. And there are constant push and pulls on that, uh, some of those being the built environment in which MTD has to operate in, the land uses that are associated with that. Also, the community goals uh, from stakeholders, from riders, from elected officials that are constantly coming into MTD, and they must balance with their uh, financial constraints. When we talk about transportation factors, there's this inherent chicken and egg problem that exists. Uh, transportation works best in highly dense areas. Um, in which short distances uh, make up the majority of trips. There needs to be a diversity of environment. When I say diversity of environment, I'm not just talking about people diversity, but I'm also talking about uh, facility diversity. So transportation works best in mixed-use environments where there's residential areas, employment areas, um, and commercial areas all interwound together. Uh, it also works best when there's accessibility. So if I can get on the bus because maybe I live in an area with a nice sidewalk, but then I'm going to some suburban area that doesn't have a sidewalk or whatever, there can be challenges with me actually getting to the final place that I want to go to. Uh, and so a lot of times we hear from developers, well, I would build more of this mixed-use development that you talk about, or I would increase the density if there was transportation there to meet the needs of my employees or to meet the needs of my potential residents. And then at the same time, transit providers say, well, we'll give you the transit service if you build the density and you backfill in some of these areas. And so there's kind of this push and pull between developers, uh, land use uh, kind of rules, and then what transit providers can or, or cannot do. But we do know, and studies have shown us, that whenever there is an investment in density, uh, there's basically a 25% uh, reduction in auto trips. And that can be good for a variety of reasons. That can uh, increase efficiency in moving through urban environments. It can also um, ensure that uh, people have greater access, greater mobility options. And so, um, you know, inherently we're not trying to take automobiles away. They, we're just trying to create more options and improve mobility as, as a greater um, method. And so I mentioned a 25% reduction. That's not a 25% shift to just transit. That means more uh, walking trips, more bike trips, uh, people using whatever mode makes the best um, sense for the actual journey that they're trying to make. Um, Definitely, as I've already mentioned, uh, land use really factors into how this works because land use controls density, and where there is density, uh, public transportation is the most effective. So uh, if we take a step back from even that and we talk about who rides public transportation, I think uh, as I travel the country, I hear a lot of different opinions about who may or may not be the individual on the bus. But the reality is everybody rides public transportation or potentially everybody would ride public transportation. We know from studies that we conduct, 70% of everybody that's on a bus is either going to a job or going to some kind of form of education. Transportation is not an end, rather it's a means to get somewhere. Nobody gets on the bus and just stays there all day. Transportation is an economic driver. It takes people to jobs. It takes people to and from uh, medical appointments. It also uh, services 
to make what we call discretionary trips or connect people with their loved ones or to uh, shopping and things like that that they may do in uh, evenings or weekends. Uh, some people take transportation because they see it as more sustainable. Some people take it because they see it as safer. Uh, so there's a variety of reasons that people are attracted to public transportation, and there's no one-size-fits-all solution when we talk about who might be interested in tra public transportation. That said, there are certain demographics that we know just inherently uh, are more inclined to take public transportation. Probably not surprisingly, uh, foremost in that is zero vehicle households. If you don't have a vehicle, either because you chose not to for environmental reasons, financial reasons, or any number of reasons, uh, you are going to want to take that trip somehow. And you may not be able to walk or bike to all the, tr the places that you need to go. So you would rely on the bus in those kind of cases. We also know low-income riders, renters, young adults, and seniors are often more inclined to take public transportation when it's made available to them. And one point I would like to stress is that whether you're one of these potential riders, a rider, or you're never going to ride, there is an inherent benefit to public transportation, and I stress this all um, across the country when I go, because while you may not take transportation yourself, the person who sells you your coffee in the morning perhaps did, maybe the person who uh, stamps your, your ticket in the, at the movie theater, they did as well. So there's a variety of benefits in, that are associated with this, and national studies have shown that for every dollar invested in public transportation, there's a 4% return on that, which not uh, many other types of industry can say. So now I want to talk a little bit about the factors that public transportation can control, things that are under MTD's purview. The first of those is the alignment. And whenever I talk about alignment, what I'm really talking about is the streets that the bus operates on. So MTD can choose uh, which streets that it operates on. Within those, it has to make some specific choices. And here are some examples of what uh, we stress as good alignment. We really focus on keeping service simple. There's a lot of easy ways to make bus service complex because a bus can kind of go anywhere. Um, but the more simple you keep service, the easier it is for a customer to understand, the more likely you are to generate ridership. So we really stress the idea of a simplified alignment, operate on the same street, what we call inbound and outbound, into the city and out of the city, so that that way customers know what you just cross the street to get back the way you came, instead of operating on one-way streets or in giant loops, which often take customers out of their way and can be rather confusing. Frequency, there's no great uh, comparison of frequency to non-transit um, users, so I spend quite a bit of time educating people as to what frequency means and why it's so important. Uh, but a, a good kind of analogy for it is an elevator, and if you could imagine that you showed up to work, uh, but the elevator only opened up the door every 60 minutes, every hour on the hour, that you could actually get up to the floor that you worked on, that would be the same as a bus that came by every hour. And so frequency is a huge limitation whenever we talk about public transportation. And the more frequent service is, the more first off reliable and dependable it is for the individuals who need it, but second off, the easier it is for them to access it because that means at the worst possible case scenario, if we're talking about a bus that operates every 15 minutes, if they see the bus pull away, that means they just have to wait another 15 minutes before the bus comes. However, if we're talking about a service that only operates once an hour, that same individual now has to wait at that stop for an hour or potentially find a different way to make that trip. So frequency uh, is very important in public transportation, however, very expensive in public transportation. To take a route that operates once an hour and upgrade it to a route that operates every 30 minutes, that would effectively double the cost of that route. Span is also something that's controlled by transit agencies. That's when the bus starts in the morning and when it ends in the evening. 
Uh, span also encompasses days of the week that the service operates. Um, traditionally, most providers provided uh, weekday only service and then limited or no service on weekends. However, we're seeing a shift in transportation providers uh, providing more service on weekends. A lot of this is due to job-related needs. M many service industry jobs are seven day a week, and so they require the individual not only to get there uh, Monday through Friday, but also on Saturday and Sunday. So as transportation providers are expanding, they're also considering not just frequency, but are they open early enough? Are they meeting all the shift needs that are out in the community, as well as are they meeting the daytime needs uh, in terms of Saturday and Sunday? So all of those factors combine with a lot of things that municipalities control, which I'll talk about in a minute, all go into providing what we would consider good transportation design. And if MTD had complete control over the street network, of the land use patterns, and the transportation service, service would be incredible. But the reality is they don't, and they have to operate in an environment where they have to partner and come to the table with other municipalities and other key stakeholders. And so some of the things that are outside of their control that make transportation a little bit challenging, uh, first of those is land use. And so uh, I have two different images depicted, one of a lot of houses very densely packed in together, one of houses that are a little more spaced out. Inherently, neither of these two designs are good or bad. They are just different operating environments in which transportation agencies must provide service. Clearly, in the first one, there are more houses, and what that means is there's more potential market demand. And so as I've stressed density in this conversation, that is a more dense environment in which more transportation demand exists because more, there's more potential passengers that the bus can service whenever it operates on the street. Similarly, if you look at the image underneath that, now we have half the number of houses, so we have half the number of underlying market demand. And so just inherently, by the way that the density has, is shaped within a community, transportation agencies are limited into who they can actually provide service to. These two lines would cost the same amount of money. Uh, they would, could operate the same amount of time. Um, the reality is just they would not generate the same amount of trips because there are not the same number of houses to generate the trips from. Another factor that uh, MTD and most transit agencies cannot control are the locations of destinations. So in an ideal world, uh, locations would all be set on a straight line. They'd all be on Main Street one after another, and the bus could just go by and service them all. But the reality is uh, that's not the way development works. That's not the way that land use patterns work. And so because of that, we see things like uh, the shopping center uh, located over here, and then we put the government building up on top of the hill, and then the medical facility uh, sits over uh, two miles miles south to the east. And so we end up with things that require transportation services to deviate or meander. And so I have an example of an MTD route, actually. Um, some of you may be familiar with, but there's lots of shopping and job opportunities on the northern end of that route. But the highway barrier there, uh, combined with some of the other uh, geography, requires the route to kind of meander and wind through. And so we want to connect the neighborhood south of the highway to the shopping, but that means that um, the route can't go directly between the two locations just because of the way that uh, the, the network is designed. Other factors that uh, transit agencies can't control, I mentioned how important accessibility was when you get to the outer end of your trip or even the start of your trip. If there's no sidewalk, if there's no crosswalk, if there's no bus stop there for you to actually even access, uh, your ability to get to and from your place of employment or to and from shopping or your medical needs becomes extremely limited. And transit providers, while they work um, very collaboratively, and we had a little bit of a conversation about that this morning, and how supportive uh, the city of Champaign has been in helping MTD get some of these stops out there, there still are some significant limitations that exist out there, and all transportation providers fight with this, because safety, of course, is paramount 
among all transportation providers. And when we think about somebody needs to get across the road, maybe to get to their facility, or certainly they'll have to cross the road to make a return trip the way they came if they're going to take the same route. Um, all of these factors have to be considered, but MTD and transportation providers as a whole have very little control over these kind of infrastructure improvements. Another challenge is uh, often I hear empty buses. I talk to a lot of communities, and I, I see um, conversations occurring that say, I, I like the bus. I, I have nothing inherently wrong with the bus. However, every time I see it, it's empty. And I just want to stress how uh, a highway is also empty because there is certainly a peak-based demand. And so uh, most of the folks who travel on MTD are headed into either Champaign or Urbana or the university. And so that means that the bus somehow has to get out into some of the suburban areas, out to the residential areas. And that normally means in the morning you're going to see an empty bus headed outbound to these kind of residential areas. But then on the way back in, that bus is going to be full of people. And it's just inherently part of the service and the way it's designed. There's nothing any transportation provider can do about it. Certainly we look for efficiencies. We try to find what we call reverse commutes to try to maximize the amount of efficiency. But the reality is we have to circle the bus uh, around the route, and that's just how it works. All of this really boils down to what we call transportation trade-offs, and trade-offs are required in any decision that any agency makes. And here are kind of eight core uh, trade-offs that I discuss on a frequent basis, the first one being the trade-off between frequency and span. So I talked about frequency, how often the bus comes compared to span, the time of day in which it operates. So if we wanted the service to start and end earlier, we may say that uh, the bus could only operate every 30 minutes. But if we shorten that span because we're shortening the hours and hours are the driver of cost, we could then increase the frequency to provide more frequent service but for a shorter span. Coverage is another one. This is really kind of the crux of where it all comes together. And transportation agencies uh, get mixed messages on this a lot. A lot of times people say, you're, you're, you're spending tax dollars, you need to be a business, you need to focus on where you can generate the maximum number of rides, and so your mission should be to be ridership-based. So only provide service where you can be sure that you're going to fill the bus up every time it runs. But then you have a lot of other stakeholders who come to the table and say, no, your job is to provide a public benefit. And so even though there may be uh, some kind of a shopping center uh, miles away through a cornfield or through some kind of very low-density area where we know we're not going to generate ridership, by, you know, we say that that shopping center needs some type of service. And so now we're asking the transportation provider to provide coverage instead of ridership. And so inherently there's this dynamic, and you cannot provide both you have to kind of choose some point on a spectrum between the two. Days of service, I talked about the difference between weekday service and weekend service and the benefits of those, particularly as they relate to jobs. Transfers, I didn't talk about, but a transfer is when you have to make a connection from one bus to another bus to get to where you're going. Some transportation providers choose to focus on what we call one-seat rides, which often means they serve multiple neighborhoods and then funnel down onto some select streets and then finally arrive at a primary destination. That can lead to some inefficiencies because that means all the routes eventually converge into one street, and so you have duplicated service on these streets with only individual service in the neighborhoods. So to get around that, many transportation providers uh, add what they call crosstown routes, or routes that cross town but do not actually come into downtown, and then they facilitate transfers with a downtown-based route to facilitate those kind of connections. The trade-off, obviously, is the customer has to get off of one vehicle and onto another. Directness. Um, some transportation providers focus on providing service that I call, I say it meanders, or it kind of winds through a neighborhood, and what they're doing is reducing how far a customer might have to walk to actually access the bus service. 
this slows down the bus service and can inconvenience customers who not live in the neighborhood, but rather are passing through. So the opposite of that coin is to provide service only on primary streets, which means service will operate faster. It'll be more direct. However, we would ask customers to walk further to access that service. Stop spacing is very similar. We could space stops every block, which will slow down service a little bit, but mean folks have to walk a much shorter distance. Or we can increase that to every two or three blocks and ask folks to walk further. But the trade-off there is that service would move quicker. Types of service, um, we can focus only on local service, uh, service that operates basically a consistent schedule all day long. We could, in turn, focus on commuter routes, maybe peak hour only services. Um, we could also choose the type of service uh, here. I think a great example is do we want service that focuses on the university or do we want fo service that focuses on uh, the wider community? And that gets into service distribution. Uh, MTD and transportation providers across the country receive funding from multiple sources. And how do we balance that funding? Do we provide a set number of hours per the dollars that we receive, or do we acknowledge that the community works together as a whole? And so whether the dollars came from community A or community B, we spread the, that out and acknowledge that people travel equally between community A and B. And so how does that dynamic play out? These are the kind of trade-offs that transportation systems and providers are making every day. They're certainly not easy. That's why I uh, have a job and I'm fortunate enough to go around the country and have these conversations. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer on any of these. And most of the time, as I said, it's kind of finding where on the spectrum the community wants to be and what makes the most sense. So talk a little bit about our study process. Um, we've started off by establishing a vision. So we've looked at um, what the current regional goals are. We've engaged stakeholders. We have a survey up uh, on our MTD Next website right now. And we're trying to balance what we're hearing customers want with what the available resources are. So we are financially constrained. We do have a budget. Um, but we're trying to find what the balance is between improving service, making service better for people, while not taking anything away from anybody, and keeping uh, service as cost neutral uh, as we can. We're evaluating the existing conditions. So we're first taking a look at what the current and future transportation market is. So we had uh, surveyors on board the MTD buses asking current riders how they utilize the service today, what they'd like to see about the service in the future. We've also taken an in-depth look, in look at some of the census information and looked at the underlying demand because we're very interested in folks who we may be able to attract to the bus. And there's no easy way to reach those individuals. So we do that through a pretty extensive data analysis. Um, we're focusing on uh, productivity and on-time performance, so we're looking at how well the current routes perform, where are the high areas of ridership, where are some areas where there are maybe no or low ridership that we could maybe trim the route or redesign the route to be a little bit more productive. And then, again, on-time performance, that's how frequently the bus matches the schedule that is published. MTD spends a lot of time making sure that their buses can perform to the schedule that is out there, but they have a lot of challenges doing that, traffic, lights, things like that. Uh, and so we want to look for efficient ways to improve uh, their routings to make the on-time performance better so that the end customer has, has a good experience. We're identifying community priorities. Um, I mentioned the survey uh, that we already have out there. We're having a public meeting tomorrow. Uh, we have engaged several stakeholders, and we've had a few pop-up event, events that happened uh, in, the, in the summertime, and then uh, we will have a few more uh, in, the coming few, in the coming months whenever we actually develop some potential service changes. We'll take those back to the community and ask them to weigh in on aspects that they like or aspects that they might want to change based on some actual maps that we'll diagram out. All of this goes into developing strategies. 
we like to say that transportation is like a jigsaw puzzle. However, unlike a jigsaw puzzle that can only go together one way, public transportation can be put together in many different ways, and it's the balance of what these community needs are, how do we ensure that MTD is productive, and what can we afford financially. So with that, just a, a brief overview of the state of the current system. From what we've seen, we've taken an in-depth look at uh, the market, and what you see here depicted is a map that displays areas of high ridership potential, areas of moderate ridership potential, and then areas of lower ridership potential. And this is all driven based on that population and employment demand that we do our research on. We have a, a pretty extensive algorithm. We also weigh in those additional, what we call propensity factors. I mentioned certain demographics, such as individuals with zero vehicles in their household are more likely to ride public transportation. So we bring all that to the table when we try to highlight areas that we think would be supportive of transportation if it was available to them. Now, this is not uh, a comp this is not the only picture, I should say. This is a relatively comprehensive uh, analysis. However, it is just one leg of a stool. We need to know what the current ridership is. We need to engage the community to hear more about that. What we've seen so far is that uh, there are areas of very high demand within the MTD service area. Um, there are some potential needs for some of those crosstown connections that I mentioned. Uh, however, there are also areas of low demand, which makes providing transportation service relatively challenging, and we get into that coverage versus ridership dynamic. Also, uh, there is competition in the transportation market. I call it competition. I think it's friendly competition is how I would describe it. Certainly with the university, it's a very walkable area. Now there's bike share in the community, Uber and Lyft are out there. So I think with MTD, we don't want to challenge and try to fight for this market share. Instead, we want to see how we can work together with these uh, other operators and these other transportation modes that are in the uh, environment and then see how we can partner and build off of that to just create a stronger mobility option as a whole. We've also looked at the existing MTD service. Um, one of the key observations that I put right up front and center is, is the current riders do love the MTD system. I was very surprised when I go out to most communities, people are relatively happy with the service, but they always have a, a couple ideas of we could do this or we could do that. But here the current riders really, really do appreciate the service. They speak super highly of it. And so uh, it's made my job a little bit more challenging because I have to look for how can I change things to make them better uh, when folks think things are going pretty well right now. So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, also, MTD, especially for the, the cities, um, the size of the cities that it serves, both Champaign and Urbana, uh, relatively high frequency. Over 10 routes operate service every 15 minutes or better. Also very productive, uh, operating 45 passengers per hour. Um, I was joking this afternoon, the city of Boston, where I'm located, generates 65 passengers an hour. So whenever you think about Champaign-Urbana generating 45 passengers an hour, that's a significant uh, workload that MTD is, is hauling there. Um, though interestingly, four of MTD's total routes make up about 50% of its total ridership. So that kind of gets into that trade-off of you saw those areas in red, which have high demand. You saw the areas in yellow, which are a little bit more coverage-focused. So a lot of the MTD service out there is focused on providing some of that coverage, and so it's that balance between those two dynamics. It's also a very complex operating environment with two municipalities as well as the university. Uh, so complex environments inherently will lead to complex service, and so this is a constant uh, balance that MTD has to work through. Uh, also, some interesting facts, service continues to get a little bit slower and ridership is declining. So these are things that we look at. We look at what the miles per hour are because customers, of course, want to get to their destination quickly. Uh, and we think that some of these factors are leading into some of that ridership decline. So we want to target into those things and see how we can redesign the service to keep all the riders that currently love MTD happy, but also improve it for um, those who, who currently ride and then, again, reach out to those new markets. 
So with that, um, we have completed the market analysis. It's available on the MTD Next website, which you can see there in the bottom of the screen, mtdnext.com. Currently, we're developing a final state of the system, which will be a little bit more comprehensive analysis of what I just described. Uh, we'll provide an actual individual route assessment for each of the routes provided. Um, we're also going to conduct the internal planning process that Jay alluded to. We'll do a fleet assessment and continue our community engagement. Uh, and then coming up next, we will actually develop service scenarios, so potentially three different scenarios. We'll actually put lines on a map that look different than the lines do today. We'll bring that back to the community, ask folks to, poke, to you know, engage with that, poke at it a little bit, tell us what they like about it, what they don't like about it. These will just be concepts, but will help us uh, steer the, the study into the final recommendations phase. And so with that, I did uh, want to put up the last slide that was mentioned. We are having a public meeting at the terminal tomorrow uh, from 6 to 8, and I think we'll take any questions from me. And when you say tomorrow, since this will be repeated on a tape, you Thank mean you. Wednesday, November 13th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m.? Thank you. Ben, does that conclude the report? Yes. Council, any technical questions? Ms. Foreman. Um, <clears throat> this is really directed to the track. So I, I guess my first question is, is anyone a traffic engineer? Or like, what is your title? What do you do as far as the routes? I'm kind of understanding, like, if I'm directing my question at the correct person. Uh, I'm planning manager. We don't have an engineer. So it's planning, like, kind of our version of planning, but for MTD? Sure? Yeah, okay. so. so when you create the routes, um, do you or does someone at your department go and ride the route? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, we do a lot of things. Uh, we ride the routes all the time, count passengers and, and get out in the service. Uh, absolutely. Um, we do anything we can to, to make sure that we're serving the right uh, areas and, and are on the right streets. Um, we, we try to time it correctly. Uh, we make sure we can make all the turns and, and, and that we're on the appropriate streets, so, yeah. And do you get off at the stops, wait for another bus? I mean, like, do you simulate the experience of a rider from one destination or making multiple stops? Um, I suppose we don't do that. Okay. Um, so I, I would say then if you probably don't do that, then you probably, there's no simulation of someone maybe who has to, take a, a bus ride from home to stop at the terminal, go to daycare, then maybe catch, go back to the terminal, then catch the bus to work? Um, I mean, we understand that. Uh, we, and, and that's part of what we're looking to get input on, uh, you know, the question of do you want a one-seat ride? Do you want to have transfers? Uh, so, you know, that, that's something we're, we're interested in getting input on. Um, you know, his uh, presentation... Um, in many ways, his recommendations are uh, counter to what we've done. Uh, we, we have routes that aren't super direct, but go into neighborhoods and, and try to collect people where they live, as close as they live, uh, so that we can offer a one-seat ride, because uh, we know that transferring isn't, isn't popular. However, uh, you know, the, the recommendation is to straighten them out and to speed it up, uh, So, but that comes with... Uh, potentially the need to transfer. So, you know, these are things that uh, we can uh, put together and try to, um, you know, come up with a system that works, but we're asking for input on, uh, you know, how the public feels about uh, these trade-offs that we're making. 
Um, and as, besides the open house, are there other outreaches that you are making to, to talk to the population? Because based on some of your slides, <clears throat> sorry, you have a good understanding of who you really serve. So in order to reach that population who more than likely will not be at your open house tomorrow from 6 to 8, is there some kind of community outreach you're going to do to reach that population that more than likely rides the bus and not necessarily like a driver who experiences the MTD on the road and maybe just wants to tell you how they feel about the route? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had events where we were at Sweet Corn Festival uh, and uh, what was the other one? Quad Day? Yeah. Quad Day, yeah. Quad day we were at. Um, we have an onboard survey that we did. Um, we take, um, you know, email input, things like that. Uh, of course, if, if they're not, if, if they're not going to be out to see us, uh, we'll, we'll take it digitally. Did you guys happen to have a table at, you know, Champagne Urbana Days, or? maybe at some of the events at Douglas or maybe some events at the public library? Um, MTD has, not specifically for this project, but, yeah, we, we have tables at community events like that. Awesome. Can I ask, uh, Go ahead. Jay, or, Jay or Matt, did, do you have numbers on how many people roughly you, you reached through those onboard surveys? That might still be being processed. I don't know. Um, I haven't seen any. Yeah, so I we, we have the online survey, which is still available. Um, anybody who could take it at mtdnext.com would be great. Uh, we've received 250 responses from that so far. And then uh, our onboard uh, survey, I haven't seen the final results, but um, several hundred more than that. We were, um, do you remember what the goal was on that? Was it a thousand surveys? Uh, printed a ton of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have the like final numbers on the onboard survey, but it's it's in the margin of a thousand. Um, so, is there? I mean, I'm not sure how many much your riders are, but um, how how many riders do does MTD average per year? I guess is my question. Um, we our latest ridership was 11.6 million rides a year. Uh, we don't. I know. mean, like population, like how many? Do you know how many people, or are you guys only base it based on rides? So the same person can kind of ride consistently oh, of and can Of course, to yeah, ride. we don't have that many people in town. Um, <laughs> I, we don't know how many, you know, individuals ride, no. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Thank you for your presentation. I, I did want to follow up on Councilwoman Foreman's uh, comments because I think um, mine were a little bit similar. Um, I think for me, um, I know Jay and I have spoken a little bit. Um, I, while I represent Southwest Champaign and, and probably have a mixture of people that um, use the MTD and, and could also um, have their own public transportation, um, we do have uh, circumstances where uh, we have some housing where public transportation is um, something that is used quite a bit, um, but I wonder if they even know to fill out the survey. So, for example, were people at Providence at Thornberry contacted about this survey? And, you know, if not, could they? Because I think there's some valuable um, information that their residents there could provide for you. Um, likewise, the businesses around the area in southwest Champaign that would be interested in in um, having some uh, bus routes that uh, maybe come out there later at night, for example, with some of what you were saying. I wonder if those businesses know that this survey or this um, whole uh, uh, 
plan is uh, the analysis is actually going on. I'm not even sure if they might know that. Um, maybe they could be contacted and could provide you with some um, data as well. So I'm not, I, I'm wondering if this, I, I mean, I know I, I'll, I'll reach out to them and, and, and provide that, but I, I wonder if there was a mechanism that this has been shared out more broadly. I, I'm not sure about that. So Jay mentioned that there is a steering committee of several individuals and uh, community representatives, and we basically uh, leverage their contacts and their resources to push this information out because they certainly they have the ear of the community. They know how to get that information out. So that was how we did the broader outreach. And then Jay also, of course, we've mentioned the onboard survey, which was to go directly to those current riders and, and engage them. So. Um, Likewise, I mean, if, if uh, you guys have a list of constituents, uh, you feel free to share it, absolutely. The city of Champaign has, uh, we have signal boosted some of their social media and done some of our own outreach to uh, push, uh, push the survey out and, and so to make more of our citizens aware of input opportunities. Great, thank you. Well, no, I, I mean, I think you've done a lot so far Yeah, I mean, we, we don't want to go through this process and then have somebody come back and say, why didn't you ask me? I mean, we're trying to avoid that, right? So, I mean, we'll take input from anybody, absolutely. Uh, Ms. Foreman. Who's on your steering committee? Do y'all? Um, it is um, Ben from the city of Champaign, uh, Lily, Wil Lily Wilcock, from City of Urbana, um, sorry? Yeah. Oh, um, uh, there is, um, let's see, a few, somebody from each of the park districts, um, somebody from school districts, uh, a few people from the University of Illinois uh, on this technical advisory committee. Yeah. And uh, Champaign County Regional Plan Commission as well. Yeah, sorry. Um, was by chance the David Northern from the uh, Champaign County Housing Authority, uh, could he in some way be helpful to that? Just kind of throw that out there. Yeah, I think so. Um, was he, were they included on the list of stakeholder interviews too, Matt? Uh, so I, I don't, yeah, if you want to talk about it, I don't know who Muse talked to with their stakeholder interviews. Yeah, they, they do keep those secrets per se so that they, they protect the individuals that they do interview but we we have met with several individuals one-on-one -on -one, uh, and I know that there were a, a list of individuals from the city of Champaign that were included on that um, and then the ones that responded were certainly we had a conversation with so we could follow up and make sure that we did give the opportunity for him to provide input. I'm, I'm happy to make that connection as well. If it's, if it's not been made, I'll, I'll connect David Northern with, uh, uh, with MTD and with the consulting team. This isn't like comment time, but Ben, I think Mr. Northern could be extremely helpful to the conversation with the amount of public housing facilities in Bristol Place and the things that he kind of has his hand in. Will. I, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Kyles. Deputy Mayor, thank you. Uh, this is probably maybe and maybe not the space for this comp question, but since it's public, it'd be great. How do you talk about special routes and you start to talk about connecting the community? So, do I, how does someone from the north end of town 
uh, or Center City learn about how to take a route to um, Carl at the Fields? Um, how, do, how do we communicate that information? Um, I know a little bit how um, because I've done trip planner and things like that, but I'm interested in how the public would know how to um, do trip planner or just if there are any special routes that go directly from inner city um, to uh, places like Carl at the Fields where there are lots of developments going on. Um, well, we have all kinds of tools. Um, you know, we have a, uh, you can call our phone number and talk to a customer service agent. You can get on the bus. Uh, there's there's books on the bus. Uh, you can get to Illinois Terminal. There's 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 staff there. Uh, yeah, we have all kinds of online tools. A trip planner. We have um, real time information apps. Um, you know, you can use Google to, uh, to to get trip information on on the buses. So. Um, you know, anybody can, um, can, can use any tool they're comfortable with or they can call us and we'd be happy to explain things. There are also uh, sometimes initiatives for ridership training. You know, uh, various agencies, not just MTD, have taken on uh, the responsibility of, of doing outreach about how to ride the bus because, you know, as, as we mentioned, there are a number of agencies whose interests are served by people riding the bus, knowing how to ride the bus. Uh, most recent ridership training in our area was conducted by Champaign County Regional Planning Commission. That was done a couple of years ago, and I believe they specifically did some ridership training with uh, low-income um, and immigrant and undocumented populations uh, to teach them how to ride the bus, how to read a schedule, how to pay your fare, et cetera. Um, those are uh, staff time intensive trainings and of course outreach is always an issue how do you connect people to these trainings how do you set it at the right time for them but there is um, from time to time actual hands-on ridership training where people can you know meet with a staff person who's experienced with riding the bus and learn how to do it I will also mention that age-friendly Champaign-Urbana um, which is an initiative that the city of Champaign is a participant in has as one of its goals in its age-friendly action <laughs> plan um, conducting more ridership training specifically for older adults. Uh, so there is that mechanism uh, that does arise from time to time in addition to the mechanisms that, that Jay mentioned. Greg Stock, council member Greg Stock. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, I have a few questions that are related but not really. Um, kind of bouncing off of council member Kyle's comments, have you looked at all at like the the idea of like express buses, like something going directly from the union to the terminal building, so it doesn't take a half an hour to go a mile, you know, because of the various stops that are taking place, since that's going to be an area that people are going to branch off to various parts of the city anyway. Yeah, we look at all that. And in fact, uh, as part of the market analysis, we purchased cell phone data. And so we use census data for a lot, but census data is somewhat uh, dated. So the cellular data that we were able to purchase is actually just a few months old, and we got a year's worth of data, and it actually has origin destinations. And so while we can't actually get to what the trip purpose was, it does log uh, all these different trips, and so we have a whole year's worth of data. And so whenever we do look at that underlying demand and we think about new riders and how we can draw people to the service, we consider all different facets, including different types of service that may be operated today. Okay. Um, and then I just wondered, curious, a year or two ago, I think MTD went to more kind of marked bus stops. Has that had impact, positive or negative? Have you seen much difference from, you know, 
the old method of basically you stood on a corner and eventually a bus went by? Um, hard to tell. Um, I, I don't think we, we've seen a real negative reaction to it. Um, I, I know that a lot of our operators uh, and, and some of the public um, appreciates uh, the confidence of knowing, yes, this is a bus stop. You know, it's not over here, it's not over there, it's right here. Uh, so, so that's something uh, that, that everybody can recognize. Um, uh, I'm not sure it's helped our scheduled adherence significantly. Uh, that was one of the goals. Um, you know, long term, it, it should help. Uh, you know, the, the buses, uh, less braking, accelerating, all that. Uh, I don't know if we've seen any impact of that. Um, but uh, you know, it, I think it's I think it's been positive uh, from from our experience, and uh, you know, the recommendations that, that Matt's going to have us uh, look at is uh, it, it talks about stop spacing as well, and, and you know, we're one step ahead of that. Um, although uh, I will say that when we uh, initially did it, uh, we weren't super aggressive with it uh, because you know it, it was kind of a big change for us uh, going from a flag stop system to. Uh, designated stops, so you know we we, we didn't make uh, you know if, uh, if there was a question uh, we kept the stop generally. Uh, so there could be more uh, depending on um, you know how aggressively we want to do that or what the recommendation would be. Okay, thank you. Um, and then kind of addressing the empty bus syndrome that people I hear probably more complaints about that related MTD than anything else. Is there kind of a movement towards, I see some buses that are smaller that aren't the big full-size buses with two people on them. Is there sort of a movement at all towards the smaller buses that may be more efficient and also less wear and tear on streets? And um, I wouldn't say so. Um, in, in recent years, um, actually, our smaller buses, we had trouble finding places for them to to go um, mm -hmm. because ridership at times was so high that they couldn't they couldn't work. Um, now in the last few years, we that's that's settled down a little bit, and and we haven't had the overloads as much, uh, so so we're not having as much trouble um, placing those buses in service. Um, but uh, yeah, generally, um, you know, there's times where the routes uh, where the bus is empty, and there's times where the bus is full. So if you if you rode it from from front to back, um, you you would notice that a lot of times, um, if we had a smaller bus, um, it wouldn't be adequate. Um, so, um, so so there's certain certain times where where that's useful. Um, but uh, I don't think we're going to be looking at buying any more of the smaller buses. Um, we are looking at, you know, on-demand service in places, uh, which would use a van. Uh, so, so that's that's something we're looking at and we're implementing, but, but not not as far as more bus purchases. Yeah. Although I should say, uh, they are looking at this too to see if we have the appropriate number of buses. We will look at the buses, and it's important to remember when we talk about the cost of the operation of the bus, about 86% of that cost is the operator in the seat, and so that you can gain some efficiencies from a smaller vehicle in terms of fuel and maybe some tire wear, uh, but there's, it's, it's kind we're, of on the margin. On city streets. So. <laughs> <laughs> one, one last question. Um, related to Round Barn, is there a plan at some point to kind of upgrade that sort of transfer station? I get why you left Country Fair, but it puts a transfer station, so to speak, literally the only thing close to there is the DMV, which if you had a car, you probably wouldn't be riding the MTD. So you're walking, you know, I see people all the time, 
because I work a block away, is walking two blocks to get to Big Lots or to get to Ruler Foods or something because that stop is now two blocks further away and there's really almost no shelter there to speak of for people while they're waiting for their next bus. Um, I will say that, yeah, that is not an ideal transfer location for us and, and we would love to do something differently. Um, I, there's, there's not an active um, alternative for us right now, but we're open to suggestions. We're, we're interested in that. Uh, the it's part on our radar. <laughs> so you indicated safety and infrastructure. And so in part of your analysis, are you looking at actual I'm assuming you are, but are you looking at actual stops? And the one that really jumps out to me is the one on Country Fair, where people get off, like there's not a lot of infrastructure along there. There isn't any sidewalk. It's muddy along there. The buses stop right at a curve, and so you have people who are at the apartments and they're trying to catch a bus, so they're having to do that where it's sort of where there's a lot of traffic and there's no easy way to really cross there. Is that something where you are really looking at that information too to determine better stops and if there's better locations, what infrastructure would be needed in, in order to make that potentially happen? Well, within the plan, we will look at the ridership, the boarding activity of each individual stop, and we've we've followed either in a, in a trailed buses, as we call it, or ridden uh, all of the routes in the system so far, so we have put eyes on all the stops. We won't actually inventory every single bus stop in the system. However, we will make higher-level recommendations that say, at a bare minimum, a bus stop needs these key components, a concrete pad, a sign, ADA accessibility. Uh, the next level up, if you're generating X number of boardings, you should probably consider some more amenities like a bench, things like that. If you have even more boardings, now you should consider a shelter, even more a real-time sign. So we will tier it. We'll give some guidance to MTD as part of the study as to how they can pursue that, but not an individual inventory of every stop. Um, separate project, but we are doing a bus stop inventory. Uh, we've uh, been been taking this on for the last few years, had trouble completing it, uh, but it's it's back active where we have uh, somebody with a tablet uh, collecting several pieces of information from each uh, bus stop, including a picture. Uh, so that's one of one of many factors that that we are are documenting. But yeah, um, you know if, if there are stops, uh, and there are plenty of stops in our system that uh, don't have sidewalks. Uh, uh, you know, if there are any concerns, uh, you know, let us know, and we can we can work through it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I know what I know what stops you're talking about, and, and I agree. If uh, if we could work together to get sidewalks put in or a crosswalk, you know, I'd be all for that. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Stock. Sorry, I want to follow up on my round barn question again. So is your vision then that that's probably where it's going to stay based on? Where we are right now, and the reason I ask is because if it is, I think we as a city need to look at that intersection, and it's really connecting two private parking lots, but it's, there's no crosswalk there, there's no walk signs there, there's, you know, and I see people trying, that's a relatively short traffic light cycle, at least it feels that way, and I see elderly people trying to get across there, and if that's going to be the long-term site, I think we maybe need to think about 
if we can upgrade that or at least make sure that it's safer for people to cross there? Um, I, I don't want to say that's a permanent stop because I don't think any of us really like it. Um, however, I, I think it's medium term. We're putting in another shelter on the south side, so we're investing in it. Um, but, yeah, if, if we could get um, to a different location, absolutely. Are there any other technical questions? Is there anybody in the audience that would like to speak to this issue? If so, come on down, state your name and city of your residence. Seeing none, council comments? Council Member Kyles. This is an amazing um, discussion. I think that um, maybe I'm just a nerd on transportation, but um, probably studied this a little bit more than I probably should have. Should. I think that thank you for coming and doing a presentation on this. I think this is really needed um, as we talk about transportation and what that means for a healthy uh, um, community. Uh, great transportation, very simply, uh, leads to access for, uh, we talk about access for all, access for all. But it also, from a very, uh, from an economic development standpoint, it helps uh, um, individuals with better job opportunities, um, helping them be able to, as you talk about, being able to go to various appointments. And I mean, you all know the, the benefits of great transportation. Uh, one of the things um, that I'll address and talk more about, more so than anything, is, as you talked about, the declining ridership. And that's very interesting because I don't think that we, I think we all believe and we all know that people need uh, public transportation. I think some of the questions um, asked about being able to connect, whether it's at, um, you know, big lots or whether it's able to be able to connect with uh, a north end to perhaps the YMCA or the Carl at the Fields or things along that nature. We live in a society, as you already know, that our preferences have changed. People put a premium on their time. So that's where I think and well I know that transportation ride shares like Lyft, Uber, and even the, uh, the bicycles um, have a place. And, and that's where a lot of people that you would, you would think that the average, so the average ride in most cases that a person pays for for a trip would be somewhere around 6 or $7 for Uber or Lyft. Maybe seven fifty. Maybe they get a ten percent discount, you know, and they go for that. So you think like seven bucks? You do that twice a day. That's forty. That's I did six dollars and ninety cent, but that's roughly forty eight dollars and thirty cent a week. Ninety six dollars and sixty cent uh, a week in general, and three hundred and something dollars a month. That's a lot of money compared to an eighty four dollar annual pass. And so you wonder why are people paying? almost $400 for a, a couple trips a day um, as opposed to paying $84 annually. Um, and there are some, a lot of things that we could talk about, but I think some of it has to do with people putting a premium on their time. And so if I can't access that bus station or it's going, and my son tells me this all the time, I'm one of those North Enders. Uh, he says, Dad, why can't you just drive me to the YMCA? 
It takes you 15 minutes. It's going to take me an hour. So if he, as a 14-year-old, is already asking those questions about his time, what more that as a 37-year-old am I going to ask or people who are um, older or younger are going to ask about their time? And I'm like, okay, son, you got a point, but you're going to take the MTD bus. Nevertheless, I think that that's something that drives people to use things that would seem almost unaffordable, right? Um, I wanted to, so we have, we talked about consumer behavior, perceived a reality. Um, How are international students? So we talk about our local community, but what about our international community? How are they used to traveling? I don't know. Do they use, when they're in, in other countries, are they using uh, ride shares? Are they using bus f- public transportation? How are they? So one of the things I've asked individuals is why, because I'm always interested in, why, if you're on the University of Illinois, of all people, would you ever take an Uber or Lyft when you have free, basically, quote, unquote, free transportation? And one of the things is education. Like, that's going to be, I think, the most challenging piece of it all is education. How do you continuously educate a, a population, uh, us, a group of people, citizens, residents, about the ever-changing things about your organization? You know, how many people, how many people I've asked about MTD safe rides, and some people say it's confusing. And that's all up to interpretation, right? What's confusing to me may not be confusing to you and such. And so maybe continue to analyze the services that we do provide, or I'm sorry, we, MTD provides, um, and seeing if that is understandable to our population that we're trying to serve. But I know that there are a lot of people that take late night routes, rides. In fact, in about eh, roughly 40 minutes, uh, it's a lot of people that's going to be out going to various locations. Um, I think that ultimate, I think that education and continuous education and how we educate. A lot of times, most of our education systems are kind of archaic, you know. And um, sometimes surveys, while very, it's not necessarily the survey that's a bad thing. It's how do we deliver the survey and how do we get it into the right hands. A lot of times we depend upon influencers, per, per se, more or less, whether it's you know community representatives to kind of get that survey out. How do we get that survey out directly to the audience that we're trying to serve? I think that that's a huge thing, and I've got a couple solutions. Um, one of the things, and I've mentioned Trip Planner, and I don't know if you already do that, Um, is maybe perhaps at the end of a person's trip, maybe if they're doing it particularly on their mobile device or on their desktop, maybe there could be a pop-up that says, would you like to take a two-second survey? Can't be more than two seconds, right? Uh, But maybe maybe that's a solution. It's something they're already doing, and maybe it says, hey, how can we improve this system? Maybe that will increase the amount of people I don't know, maybe or maybe not. Also, one of the things that we can use, and I know that you talked about social media, and social media marketing, uh, we know that's kind of an interrupter market. And so what I imagine a Facebook ad or Instagram or you're talking to a younger Snapchat, uh, what I imagine something pops up, there's a black screen that says the MTD doesn't know. And that's because it's, a black, it's, it's a, literally a black 
It's, it's a black picture with white letters, white bold letters that says the MTD doesn't know. It's enough to interrupt you to think like, dang, what doesn't the MTD know? They click on it, bam, there's a possible, some people might take that survey. Now, obviously, you know, clickbaiting is a strategy that you can use, and it's not necessarily going to get everyone, but it's going to get more to your target market, and it's going to get more into the hands of the customers, of the people that you hope to, to serve. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I'm a strategist, right? And I, I think that transportation is actually uh, very interesting. It's one of the reasons that more and more people from different areas of our community are now traveling to our downtown. Now, we still have some challenges, and that's another thing. That's another conversation. But I'm saying that people do use transportation as a way to explore our community. And if they can use it at a lower cost, they may actually patronize the businesses actually more or the areas that they're trying to serve. So maybe I've been a little bit long-winded, and that's okay, right? Um, I think that what you said was, was dead on. A lot of times that we have these um, stakeholder meetings, not a lot of people show up that we're actually hoping to show. And so we have to figure out a way to get that information to them um, because, again, it goes back to what you're saying. How do we get specialized routes when you have half? That's the, all, if, any study is going to say, yes, there are people that want uh, a route from, from, from the north end of town to Carl, the, uh, the, Carl at the Fields. But not enough people are dry, riding it, so it doesn't justify the cost of creating a route. That's what I think that you'll find if you haven't found that already in, in a lot of cases. And so then how do, you, how do you meet your customer demand? And so I think that that's, um, those are my, I guess, suggestions, comments, or um, long-windedness, but that's pretty much all I have. Any other council comments? Vanna. Mine are not as uh, long. I just wanted to thank you for completing this because um, this is something that is um, important to me because I do believe that um, this public transportation does translate into healthy communities. And I think that there is, you know, I, I know that um, sometimes we take for granted the ease in which we can hop on a bus, but that ease is sometimes hindered when it's snowing and it's icy and you have grocery bags and you have kids in tow and you are trying to get from point A to point B and you have to make a transfer. So I appreciate the diligence in which you are looking at everything and you are trying to figure out what is the best way and um, more to the point as, as much as you can communicate that sometimes it's not as easy as we think it is. Because we look and we say, why aren't you just going directly here? Or why aren't you just going this way or that way? That sometimes there are barriers to this. And what you have even started to outline here um, is helpful. And it's helpful to me in a very small way in thinking through some of the things that even you and I have had conversations with. Oh, there is this trade off, or this is how maybe when people approach me, I can say, well, look, you know, in just a few simple things, this slide says this, and, and they're doing this, and they're trying to address some of these issues. So thank you for the time and thinking thoughtfully through um, some of these issues, because for our community, I think this will help it take a, a step further. So thank you. Any other council com com 
Clarissa Foreman. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, <clears throat> so a few of my concerns mainly um, kind of revolve around the fact that I'm not really worried about the people who can, you know, I know if, if Matt Gladney was here, he would talk about how he lives on a street where he can just jump on the MTD and take it to the U of I. And that is a fine experience, and I appreciate that narrative. <clears throat> but there are going to be people who are going to be going to multiple stops and doing things. And I understand the, the distance and the, the way you guys come about routes, but I'm wondering if there's a different way to, if you're talking to those people and maybe understanding, maybe that'll give you, maybe it's not just one, you know, right now I think maybe including our band, we have maybe like four what I would consider transfer stops. Now, this is a huge uh, difference from those of us who grew up in Champaign because Country Fair was, at one time, I, we thought was going to be the new Illinois Terminal because you got night rides from there. I mean, it was a very safe experience, um, especially for people who um, had disabilities. And so I'm wondering, how do we get back to that understanding the needs of, like, the community so much as kind of just throwing buses out there and, you know, having the empty rides, you know, and I don't, I don't have the answers. I just know that, you know, if you live on the north end of town and you need to get somewhere else, it is an extremely difficult task to do. And if I want to walk over a couple blocks and catch another bus, I can, and that's going to take me somewhere else. And that's more than fine, but there should be a way that's so easy that for me to just plug in where I'm trying to go and what is the easiest bus route. It is not currently that that simple to do just by going to the, you know, and I know because I have three teenagers who have, you know, when your kid is using their money from work to catch a lift, you know there's some things going on because that kid's trying to hold on to that money like really serious. And so I'm trying to figure out how do you, how do we make that easier for them? How do we move that into, you know, right at the hands of the users, right? So I'm in Phoenix a few weeks ago. I'm more of a go out, learn about the community kind of person. So I get on the bus, I get on the light rail thing they have, and the difference I find is that the bus makes multiple stops in short distances, and the light rail takes you very far, but you got to get off on that one stop, and wherever you get off on, you have to go far. And I'm assuming that based on your presentation, that is kind of the purpose of, like, these huge hubs, and then you have the small, you know, these multiple places that you go. How do we make that an easier experience for the rider. Now, I understand that you guys have infrastructure and safety and all those things. My main concern is the rider. How do we get them, you know, especially from the north end, they, there's a huge food desert there. How do we get them to, you know, places where they can get access to fresh food? Now, the campus students uh, have a great way to, you know, get from campus to Meyer and out to, you know, but I just, I, I'm, you understand what I'm saying. I think I know where I'm going. Okay, so that's really important. That's just one thing. But two, Something I noticed is when I'm on the other side of town, which is not the north end, I'm, you know, on Windsor, people who are trying to get on the bus, there are not crosswalks there. And I'm not sure what's going on. I'm, I'm pretty sure that our public works director is really, really interested in talking to me about crosswalks. Um, and I would like to know, is wh how do we figure that out? Because I see people on Windsor at late night or early in the morning kind of just darting out across traffic and out. That's typically fine, but sometimes they have groceries or they have kids, and I'm just wondering how do we, you know, how do we change that? Is that crosswalks? Is that different stops? Is that, you know, where we have the designated stops where maybe you do have to walk a little bit far, but <clears throat> people are not crossing in the middle of the street because that is a huge concern, and I think there's not one council member who can tell you they haven't been driving down the street and somebody darts out in traffic trying to cross the street. And so we want to limit that, but especially if people are catching the bus, you know, and using that as their primary source of transportation. 
Um, and then also I just wanted to talk about the fact that I think that the MTD does a really good job of making transportation accessible to, to young adults. Now, that is something that I've seen very, I've been very impressed with. Again, I do want to see you guys do a little bit better as far as can they just make it easy for them. They, they're so used to instant gratification that if you ain't giving them instant, you know what I'm saying, they're going to spend that extra $7 and take that lift. Okay, they're going to cry about it later, but I'm telling you, they're going to do it, okay? So how do we keep that motivation there, right? Because it's not just about catching the bus. It's about learning how to get places, orientation, responsibility, and that's something MTD can use for public education at places like the library. Um, Edison Middle School students are there every day from 2 to 5, sometimes 6. That is a great pool of people to talk to. There are parents that are picking up kids in that drop-off line like clockwork. That's a great subset of parents to talk to because from at least 6th to 8th grade, your kid's probably going to that library and you you know, are understanding that. Or the kids from Jefferson Middle School who catch the MTD from Jefferson to the library after school. That set of parents also would be great because maybe they drop that student off at school, but that student then catches the bus. Is there a way that student may get off at Dunkin' Donuts and get a drink and then get on another bus? And I'm, I hope that is kind of understand what I'm saying as far as, you know, making that easier. So I would like to see that. Also something I thought was really fun and neat in Phoenix, you just text a number and it like, oh, your bus is coming or this is the bus you need to get here. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, obviously, that's like a like extremely expensive and interesting interface. And as another government body, I'm not going to tell you to spend a whole bunch of money because that would not be fiscally responsible. I'm just giving out suggestions. Thank you so much for coming. Any other council comments? Uh, I'm going to poll alternative one. Uh, direct staff to continue to participate in the MTD next planning process, including attendance at future TAC meetings. Yes. 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 And I'm a yes. You have direction six to zero. Is there a um, anybody in the audience? Who would like to speak to the City Council on any matter whatsoever? Are there any City Council members who have comments? Does the City Manager have anything for the Council? Is there a motion to adjourn? Oh. Second. Will the Clerk please call the roll? Voice vote, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Why does my script say, will the clerk please call Yeah, y'all wrote the script. All in favor of adjourning, signify by saying aye. Opposed? Opposed, same sign. The motion carries. We stand adjourned.